Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix in a blurb form, of course, on March the 9th, 2014. I've mentioned many times in the past about the art of chronology. Chronology really is a, a science, a tremendous science on how to manage masses of people, not just individuals, by a form of mental trickery and linguistic trickery, etc. Plus, the need of behaviorists and psychologists, anthropologists, even zoologists, all working together to find out what works with all animals or higher mammals, which will obviously work with humans too, and unfortunately they do. So it's well studied, of course, and all governments have been using experts in these fields, big batteries of experts all along to manage all of us. So do uh, all the associate industries or institutions, as I like to call them, which are essential to governance, uh, such as not just uh, the banking system, uh, but also the entertainment industry, the political industry, all these industries or institutions which uh, we take for granted as being sort of independent and there to either benefit us or help us or even make us laugh. But they all work together very much so. And that's why you'll find all of these institutions get common money from the common people through taxations via the Pentagon or whatever it happens to be to make movies and so on. So the art is tremendous, tremendous of money, managing millions and millions of people. And under the United Nations, of course, with all the treaties assigned to and all their batteries of think tanks and experts and behaviorists and psychologists and neurologists and, and neuroscientists, etc., uh, we're all being managed perfectly well with being nudged uh, or made to feel guilty about something we shouldn't be uh, offered the big, big purposes which the, those who feel guilty don't even understand at times were being prompted and, and uh, guided all along. And I'd love to spend hours and hours talking about just that aspect of it, uh, but along with this comes um, the agenda. There's only one agenda. There's only, there's only ever been one agenda for, for hundreds of years, actually. I've gone through the histories, for instance, of how the revolutions came along uh, especially the French Revolution is well noted uh, because uh, of of the similarity uh, of the later communist or Soviet revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, where basically an entire class of people were slaughtered. Uh, in fact, I think it was Trotsky boasted about that, we've, we've eliminated a whole class of people, and of course they replaced it with their own. That's what he was referring to. So, Revolutions are very, very important, and we're conditioned to think of bloody slaughters as revolutions, but most revolutions, as I say, are bloodless. They're social uh, revolutions, cultural revolutions, which are well-planned by the same techniques, often by the same think tanks behind them, the same money powers behind them to change our behavior and modify us all along the same paths of thinking in a form of political correctness or whatever it happens to be at that time. And we're lied to all the time, naturally. We have to, we're lied to as children are lied to. In fact, it's the same technique, the noble lie is used, which means it's done for a good purpose. That's how the psychopaths can always rationalize whatever they do. It was for a good purpose. The victim is always blamed, you see, for the indoctrination they're getting. 
So that's where we are today. We're wild animals, supposedly. We're too stupid to think for ourselves, and therefore an elite have to do all the thinking for us because we can't be trusted to do the right thing. In fact, pretty well, um, Sunstein himself, one of the science czars in the U.S., said that in one of his own books, that um, the people can't be trusted to make the right decision. So he put out the book called Nudge. He's put out other ones too. Very, very shallow books because they don't want the public knowing the real depth and depth science of mass management of your minds. The revolutions, of course, were to also uh, alter the society of their day into uh, a common guidance uh, into a new system uh, where they would again be conditioned partly through fear and terror, which is the reign of terror they always have. And and with the, the, the bloodless revolutions, there's always the threat, eventually, of if you don't conform to, to political correctness, of even imprisonment. You know, you, first it's, you can't say this or even ask a question, and then it comes down to uh, mass condemnation as the public themselves are trained to, to turn against you in a Pavlovian style. It's very simple, a sim- simple technique to do. I've gone through it all before in talks, and it's been well uh, copied by many talk show hosts, which is good. It's got it across the, the world, and how behaviorism is, is so well understood by those at the top, and, and conditioning processes as well. Because the guys, the two guys, in fact, I mentioned years ago, who the, the United Nations World Health Organization employed, to start the anti-smoking campaign, said that they would create social disapproval and they would start in the schools and they'd also have mass advertising campaigns on television as well. Uh, plus they would get uh, m- massive lobbying groups to lobby uh, governments to sign treaties into law so that every year they'd up the anti-smoking laws. You can't smoke here, you can't smoke there etc., 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 until, you, until you'll be in your own little pad, your own little room or house or whatever, and, and eventually you can't smoke there either. And if you smoke outside, they conditioned people years ago to start coughing when they saw you with a cigarette 50 yards away, basically. That's how they conditioned the children. Social disapproval, coupled with Pavlovian training, you see, works very, very well, and uh, and it's, it has worked very well. So well, in fact, that the two guys who, who were employed to do that uh, said a few years ago that they, they uh, planned to be, to be using this in other spheres of society for training the public uh, and other ways of social approval, disapproval. So you, when you think your, your opinions are yours, or not yours at all. I've mentioned this many, many times. Uh, you go along with the herd, the common herd, it's taboo, actually, to think really as an individual. And you're not allowed to have your own opinions, really, uh, unless you just keep them to yourself and your own thoughts. Outside your thoughts, then then uh, the crowd will... Uh, just like the, 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 that movie, that strange movie they put up years ago about the, the people who turned into pods. These aliens copied them, and uh, you, you saw them all turning and pointing to the ones who, who were still original people and making strange sounds, but all pointing to you. Well, that's how they condition the public. If you don't go along with something that's politically correct, and you don't parrot the PC uh, terminology and phrases that they give you to parrot. Most folk uh, want to belong to their peer group. They don't want to risk dissension. They don't want uh, finger pointing. They want to be included in a group, not excluded in the group. 
So just like the the body snatchers, I think it was called, uh, that's how they're conditioned the general public. It's really taught initially in school through groupthink, uh, where everyone must eventually agree on the same uh, outcome of any particular topic given to them, uh, guided by the teacher naturally, uh, or you get socially excluded. And in many talks in the past, I've mentioned about how you're trained to join groups, especially through university and college. You'll find a lot of people go into what they think are radical groups, especially if they want to be avant-garde, they join the radical group, you see, uh, the cutting edge um, for change. Uh, as drummed into them by the selected professors in the social sciences who are put there for that very purpose, in fact. And they, they turn them out, and so they come out with these causes, you see. Across the world, they're all standardized, you see. And um, it never dawns on those who are being used. Uh, why would the system be approving turning out what you would claim is a radical? You see, if you're so radical and the system's approved you, uh, you can't be radical at all, in a sense. Otherwise, you'd be fighting the system. The very people who put you out there and, uh, and uh, give you good marks in all your different uh, areas that you were studying, including revolutions and changing society and culture and everything else. These are approved objectives by those at the top. They're all approved, you see. So you're being used by someone for a purpose you don't understand. You don't understand. Not only that, you're not going to be very happy because you're going to go through life with a chip on your shoulder. You've been given the chip and you like it now. You will get certain friends of, a, of the same ilk all radically pushing towards what they think is some kind of fairness or justice or whatever without asking, why is this being pushed by the system at the top? Who benefits from this, ultimately? And you find that they all tie in with the same old revolutionary causes that were, have been going on for hundreds of years. Do you really think that an establishment that's all-powerful, which it is, by the way, only because we accept it as it is, and we're conned so well, and trained to accept it. Do you really think they would risk anything that wasn't in their particular interest? Do you? I've gone through H.G. Wells' stuff, many other propagandists for this particular institution that seems to be behind most of it, at least the coordination of it, and you find that... Uh, he said that the, the destruction of the family unit was of prime importance. Prime importance. Uh, so that it was the last vestige of a tribe. And a tribe will stand up for each other if they're attacked by, by any authority. It would be much easier, said Wells, when the government can speak right down to you directly as an individual. And there's no one, there's no family to stand up for you. No tribe, no cousins or anything else. Uh, all, this, all those links are broken, and uh, you're on your own. It's far, far easier, isn't it? And today, of course, we're all sitting, most of us watch TV, uh, many on their own, or they're completely absorbed in their electronic gadgets that are given, to mo which monitor them and, and, and profile them constantly with any change in their personalities or interests. And they know everything about you. And even the radicals are stamped as being safe because they know exactly what they are and they're doing the approved things. Most folk never figure this out. And even when you're looking to protest something, even against radicals, 
there are ready-made groups for you to join, which never gets anywhere, never seem to get anywhere either. You go around in circles. If you start them yourself from the grassroots, they'll be infiltrated so quickly with people who come in, very nice and sociable. They're psychopaths, actually, trained by government. They have thousands of them, because this is, there's nothing new, even long before the internet they were doing this kind of thing. And they'll cause disruption eventually, and before you know it, you'll, you'll be uh, either falling apart, breaking up, or else uh, they'll have you turned 180 degrees until you're, you're, you're championing save, save Mother Earth or something. This, this actually happened. I know this to a couple of big groups. So everything uh, is taken care of naturally. Power doesn't let itself be attacked. Power doesn't even let itself uh, get attacked in the future. They act now, and they nip things in the bud before anything could get off the ground that could be of any nuisance to them in any possible way. There are ready-made groups for you to join. Ready-made, tailor-made, and you walk in and there's a suit there to suit you. It'll fit you. You can slip right into it. Your, your, your doctrine's all set out for you. Your, your catchphrases, your slogans, all these things are made for you, and you'll know the ropes. If you're a good psychopath, you can do well in these organizations because you'll, you'll learn all the slogans. You'll have no problem about having to adopt a whole bunch of things you don't agree with to get the one thing you agree with through uh, because that's how they work and see the far left wing. It's actually impossible for a normal person to be for every single thing in a doctrine. But when, so when you hear it all spouted, uh, then you know for a fact this is scientifically designed, run by a much higher authority than you think and uh, and those who go along with it, are, believe you me, will be ruthless, utterly ruthless. If there's any point or, or any networking, for instance, with any weird group that there's out there, or another weird group that they don't agree with, uh, you'll be out. They're ruthless. And, and sometimes, like we saw in the Soviet system, if they come to power, uh, they're, they're bloodthirsty. I mean, ruthlessly bloodthirsty. Don't forget that ever. So when you see a religious-type belief to a political cause, like the far, far left, then you're, you're dealing with the same thing over and over again, but it's authorized from the top, what you, what you think is probably the capitalist system. system. Because we know the capitalist system, uh, the ones who rule all of that, and they have rulers, by the way, gave you the communist system, the dialectic, to get a better society they can control. You know, under the fake guise of uh, uh, one for all and all for one idea, this, this socialism, we like to call it today. It's the same system. Same system. It's, it's the reemergence of the Soviet system. It's actually the more improved, advanced Soviet merged with the West completely. Massive management by government agencies and authorities, right down to the individual, right down to the birth of the child, actually. Um, uh, with this advocate given to them by the state in some countries like Scotland and England and Wales and, uh, and other European countries to make sure when that child, as that child's growing up they can constantly give them psychological tests lots of chats with them and readjust adjust them adjust them if they have any self-thoughts as, as I always say, own thoughts if they don't dispout slogans and are happy with everything around them then uh, they'll be adjusted and medicated too, no doubt as well.
This is an old idea. It's, un, it's happening today as we live through it. And I've always said, when you have the old agenda, uh, you don't have to um, toss it out the window because they had the whole future planned in the old agenda. And it's a long-term agenda. Most men, remember, men are short-term planners and thinkers. Women are much longer-term planners. Longer. Way, way, way further than the guys. The guys like to plan things and build it right away. Women can work on something for a long time in the future. And so the feminine technique was, was copied and used by those at the top. They've studied us, for, say, for eons, for goodness sake. And that's awfully good. Intergenerational changes. Fabian technique is the best. And by using wars and various crises, because we're all we're ruled by crisis and worry, naturally. The threat of a war, real cold or terroristic or economical crashes, whatever it happens to be, keeping a, a state of fear and terror gives a government more power, you see, through the appearance of all these crises, which mainly are bogus and fake. And um, remember, too, that the bulk of the population... Uh, running or governing all of us, and there's an awful lot of them today. And lots and lots of bureaucrats, millions of bureaucrats, and their families too, all getting awfully well looked after by the state. It all comes from you at the bottom. They don't want to toss it out the window. If they get rid of all of you, I mean, where's their paychecks going to come from? They're living higher off the hog than you are. They have way more benefits than you'll ever have. They call them privileges because they're working for government. But all wealth comes from labor. All, all wealth comes from the bottom. So you are basically their food supply and their lifestyle supply. And I've trained you to live lower than they do, even though they call themselves servants, public servants. So chronology, remember, uses a lot of trickery through words. And word associations, etc., etc. But getting back to the groups, you think of all the different groups out there, and sometimes I get I get asked to speak at different groups with their own particular cause. Uh, that's all they see is their own particular cause, generally straight out of university, and they've been given their cause by the professors, and so they've they've stuck. Okay, this is going to be my cause for life, and 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 so on and so on. They're, they think they're radical, as I say, but they're approved. And um, what you'll find with most of these groups is, again, to to destroy the old system, which they see as the old system, of traditionalism, of any kind at all, any kind whatsoever traditional. Uh, They're all for government intervention into people's mindsets, children's mindsets, through different techniques. They're, They're very angry with any opposition whatsoever. I mean, furiously angry. Furiously, as I say, it's on the, always on the edge of the mass slaughter techniques that the Bolsheviks used. And never ever forget that. But it's approved by government. In fact, many of them get government grants to exist. Their meeting houses are often paid for. Uh, their leaders uh, are, are tax-exempt, uh, often foundations. That's where they come from. Uh, and government's quite happy with them. So they're working for government, whether they know it or not, and a big agenda, a world agenda, which they think they understand, but they don't, in actual fact. Now, radical people like that, what they want, what they really want, is not freedom for people at all. It's just the opposite. Now, logic must be used in philosophy, for instance. And reason, 
logic and reason. Something which is logic and reason, uh, using, using these techniques, must be consistent. It must be. So if they're really pushing for freedom, they'd have to accept that other people see freedom in a different light than they do. But they don't. The radicals don't see that. They hate anybody with any differing opinions. Under the guise of liberalism, for instance, they're the most intolerant people of all. Completely. They won't stand for any alternate opinion. So how can they spout on about freedom? Uh, They want to uh, destroy their enemies and eliminate enemies. Some people belong to radical, what they call, what they call radical, and I think it's such a joke. I say it's authorized from university, how can it be radical? I think government wouldn't step in if it's any kind of threat whatsoever to a system that they run. Do you really think so? Of course it wouldn't. But it benefits somebody, and it's not the ones pushing it. But supposing you went into radical feminism, and you've been filled with hatred by giving partial stories, selective stories throughout your histories, etc. That's how it's done, not all-inclusive. And a lot of, lots of these women think that every guy in the past went off to the pub every day and lived a life of luxury, dressed in lace and silk stockings and three-cornered hats. And nothing was further from the truth, because up until really, really up until the 20th century, in lots of European countries, most folk were still regarded as serfs. And serfs really had no rights or property or anything else. And the guys died early because of the workload. And their diets were terrible for themselves and their families. They couldn't afford proper protein, so on. They were stunted growth. And, uh, and they did not have a life of luxury at, at all. It's complete fiction. You ever wonder, there's no, there's no movies made about peasants anywhere. Histories are always about the famous and, and those dressed in, in, in lace and all the rest of it. Uh, this is what history is about. You, you don't count. The proles don't count. They never have counted. Even today, the, the proles don't count. You see? As Orwell said. But when you're teaching people to be radical, you give them a completely fake view of history, you see. And the radicals, uh, what they really want is is to impose their will and have their system imposed on everybody else, without exception. Without exception. They're not from for freedom at all. They can't coexist with any alternate way. Just their way. That's the truth of it, you see. So you're not using logic or reason here. If you were, just be radical and say, yeah, we can't exist with you here. Don't go off and f- using freedom and blah, 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 freedom for all. And, and don't go off into being offended. If you want just to be offended about anything, well, I'll let all of your opponents, but you see opponents, uh, use the same techniques on you. And they can be offended at whatever you're doing. Quite simple. If you're for freedom and equality, they'll let it be across the whole board. But they won't, you see. They won't. I think Albert Pike mentioned that too, and Mazzini did as well, uh, that they would eventually unleash, eventually unleash the radicals and the, the atheists, the nihilists and the atheists, to comp- com- accomplish the rest of the work, uh, which really was to be fairly, fairly bloodless, mainly again through social changes, cultural changes, and so on. And that's where we are today, as they're all being used. They're all being used. 
And at the very, very top, of course, uh, the same guys who run the international corporations aren't bothered by them at all. They, they actually donate money to a lot of these groups and environmentalists and all the rest of it because they want laws passed which are never what you think they are. Uh, you aren't going to have the time to read through 10,000, 20,000 pages for a law, but they, their lawyers do it all. And they benefit from all the laws that get passed. They restrict everybody else from living and, and, and by their own means at all, right down to the common person, until eventually they can't even collect firewood anymore to heat themselves. They've got to be made totally dependent on a system for everything they need to live for. And the far lefties are all for that too, you see. It's wonderful how things really are. I mean, I, I, I think it's fascinating, really. So never fo- I tell people, never follow leaders, because the big boys will, will train them uh, give them fantastic training, set them up to be your leaders before they make the move where that, ne- that leader is even necessary to appear. R- rather than let your own leaders pop out of nowhere from the grassroots that they can't control. That's standard technique. Standard, 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 you see. But people never catch on. Selected political leaders are put out there, of course, to carefully use these ready-made groups authorized by the system for, for ends again, which uh, for their own ends naturally, but also for, this, for the new systems. Uh, and the same system as the new system. The new system is the same boys running it as it always did. Big power elites, etc. Mega corporations, the ultra, ultra, ultra rich. And, uh, and you think they're going to really let you uh, destroy their system? Of course they're not. But you're certainly getting used to destroy all the rest of the people who maybe are against lots of uh, uh, parts of the system. Uh, so you'll neutralize them. And you'll also divert them off having to oppose you as you try to destroy uh, their way of life or whatever it happens to be. Quite simple, isn't it? Very old technique, and it works every time. Because people are emotive creatures uh, as opposed to reasoning creatures, you see. That's why it's always emotive topics that they hit you with. Now, those who do the reasoning, uh, such as the, uh, say, Charles Galt and Darwin, very interesting group of people, the Darwins, because they're also intermarried with the Huxleys, if you go into their genealogies. And uh, Sir Thomas Huxley was uh, the champion of Darwinism when Darwin died. He was the best pal of Darwin. He was called Darwin's bulldog. And so that intergenerationally, these families, they classify themselves as a scientific elite working with the super-rich elite. They constantly, down through the generations, work on the same topics, same agendas, etc. It's very interesting. Interesting, too, when you go into the history of the Darwins and, and you find that... Um, from Charles onward, they were completely intermarried for generations with one family. They were already selectively breeding uh, with, with the Wedgwood family. And the Wedgwood family also includes the Ben, Tony Wedgwood Ben, a uh, politician in Britain. I think his daughter has taken over from him. Uh, and they're, they're pushing the same agendas, the far, so it appears to be the far left causes, you see. But it's not really far, it's it's complete socialistic control of every individual in society. That's what it really is. And it appears to be the same as communism. That's why Quigley, Professor Quigley, who was all for this, who worked for the Council on Foreign Relations, also called the Royal Institute for International Affairs in Britain, 
he said that he worked for them, he was a historian for them, and they're often mistaken for the, the communism because their goals are really the same. Well, they're the same, they are the same folks. You see, the capitalists using also the scientific elite uh, work towards the same agenda as what you would think is communism for total social control through multi-layers of government or and condition children from school from birthright on through school etc conditioning 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 it makes it easier for the top capitalists or, to run the world when you're all under total control when you're all predictable now talking about Charles Galton Darwin who was a physicist of the family he worked on the Manhattan project but he was also an incredible eugenicist who was still pushing eugenics and eugenic control of the population after World War II when the eugenicists uh, retreated for a while because of uh, the racial purity laws of, of Germany, Nazi Germany, uh, and what happened in Germany. I don't want to mention, of course, what happened in the Soviet Union who were doing this kind of thing long before them. But anyway, uh, because the Soviet system is protected by the darlings of the left. But... Um, this is what he said in his own book, Charles Galton Darwin, uh, who spent his, he actually made a lot of money uh, making weapons of mass destruction because they love humanity so much. But he, he, said, uh, he said here that uh, the restraint of the breeding of the feeble-minded is important and it must never be neglected. Now, remember these guys will, will put something on the books. They love to put things on the books by law and then they, of course then they stretch it and stretch it and stretch it to be all-inclusive of certain other areas. It says, it must never be neglected but cannot be regarded as a really effective way of improving the human race. If by analogy one wished to improve the breed of racehorses, one might accomplish a little by always slaughtering the horse that finished last in every race, but it would not. But it would be a much slower process than the actual one of sending the winner to the stud farm. This guy also wanted to make it a law, if they could make it a law, a wish list, so that the women could only breed with those who were already stinking rich, wealthy, and aristocrats. You see. Uh, is conscious of this criticism, eugenicists have often attempted to define what are the good characteristics which should be positively encouraged instead of only the negative ones that must be discouraged. But the results are disappointing. Lists of meritorious qualities such as good health, good physique, high intelligence, good family history are compiled, and those possessing them are told that they should breed. But the statements lead nowhere in practice, for no one can be expected to assess his own merits and demerits in a balanced way. Now, isn't that, doesn't that really take you back to, say, the Gerfeck program in Scotland, uh, and that one for England under a different name and one for Wales? where the government has already, last year, uh, given a state-appointed uh, guardian or whatever to every child born in the, in the country uh, that must assess them consistently from the age of about two months onwards. You see? It's already here, all that stuff. So here you, you're, so here you have it. So in other words, you can't reassess yourself. You wouldn't be honest enough, or you'd have a different, a different view of yourself than others, especially the elite. And, and so it's going to be done for you, you see, by me, experts, naturally. So it says here, how, for example, is a man to weigh his own good health or good ability against a hereditary made dubious, say, by an uncle who was insane or against how he is to strike a balance between considerable artistic gifts, as he, th as he thinks, together with a good family record, but quite bad health. 
is clearly beyond anyone to decide these things for himself, and even then the matter is only half settled since similar judgments are needed for both partners to the marriage. However helpful the literature may be which can be consulted, it's evident that subjective judgments on such matters are too difficult. With the best will in the world, they would very often be made wrongly, because, however sincerely he tries, no man can be a good judge in his own case. I should, you should really clarify that, because, I mean, Charles Galton Darwin believed he was a very suitable candidate to continue down through the ages with lots of offspring, etc., etc., the only imaginable way of overcoming difficulties would be to set up a class of consultants who would prescribe what marriages were eugenically admissible and how large the, cons- the consequent families should be. But this does not solve the difficulty, it only pushes it back to a stage, for it leaves unanswered the question, who are to be the consultants, and what principles are to guide them in settling the values of the different par- qualities of mankind, It comes back to just the difficulty I described in my fable, that a tame animal must have a master, and that therefore, though it might be conceivably possible to tame the majority of mankind, this could only be done by leaving untamed a minority of the population. Moreover, this minority would have to be the group possessing the most superior qualities of all. In other words, he's talking about the master race, which he believed he belonged to, you see. I've, I've mentioned all this years ago. If you go into the archives at cuttingthroughthemediates.com, I put all these books out years ago too. And lots of people have copied them, lots of hosts have used them. And that's good because it gets the word out of, of what's really happening. But, but it says here, These examples suggest an impossibility of taming mankind as a whole. But before accepting the principle fully, it is proper to examine a case where the exact contrary has happened. This is in the insect civilizations of the ants or termites. In applying the same term, civilization, to both ants and men, it is hardly necessary to say that I am drawing an analogy between things that are really of a very different quality. All species of ants, he says, live in cities, and some species have developed agriculture, others animal husbandry, but all these practices are purely instinctive and individual to each species. On the other hand, human civilization is an acquired character based on education. And so, you could certainly say here, and so it's not inherent in man's nature. In other words, this thing called civilization uh, is, is based on education. Remember, education means indoctrination. So, your indoctrination gives you what they call civilization. It's not a natural thing. So, admission is not a natural thing. So the elite know this is not a natural thing, this civilization. Now there's this thing, obviously, they call progress. What is progress? Progress is the, the continuing agenda, the planned agenda of their system. This thing is called civilization. So it goes on to say here that, um, nevertheless, it may be worthwhile to follow out the analogy a little further. Admitting the different sense of the words, it may be said that all species of ants have made the third revolution. Interesting, eh? the invention of cities that some have made the second agriculture, none the first and fourth fire and science, but they have all added another revolution of their own, the complete control of the problem of sex. It's always been so important to these guys to control all of that, you see. The ants' nests have no rulers at all, 
for the Queen is hardly more than an egg-laying mechanism, and they seem to get on perfectly well without civil servants or lawyers or captains of industry. Why cannot man set up a community like an ant's nest? This would be the ideal of the anarchist, and hitherto it's held no promise at all of success. But with the help of recent and probable future biological discoveries, some sort of imitation by man of the ant's nest cannot be quite excluded from consideration. Thus the control of the numbers of the two sexes may become possible, and with the knowledge of the various sexual hormones, it might also be po- become possible to free the majority of mankind from the urgency of sexual impulse, so that they could live contented celibate lives instead of the unsatisfied celibate lives that are the compulsory lot of such a large fraction of the percent of population of the world. That was back in the 1950s, of course. They, all, they, they used the sexual revolution to alter that one. If these discoveries should be made, and this is really by no means impossible, man would be able to carry out the sex revolution, which is the typical characteristic of the insect civilizations. The detail would, of course, have to be quite different. For instead of one queen, there would have to be large numbers of fertile women to renew the population whereas there might be one king, literally the father of his country. Also, it is probable that on account of their greater physical strength, it would be the men who would be the workers. Such an organization is certainly apparently unattractive to most of us, perhaps excepting some of the autocrats of the present world, but it's not that this excludes the possibility of it. There's no danger whatever of its happening because of the inherent difference between vertebrate and insect, for the vertebrate is so very much more flexible than the insect in its behavior. Most insects simply die if placed on an unfamiliar food plant, whereas the vertebrate will always try experiments if its normal diet fails. An insect can be used to prey on, on and destroy another one that has become a pest, and when it's done so, the predator will die of starvation. In the same role, a vertebrate predator would not die, but would start to destroy some other, perhaps, beneficent uh, species. Now, all of the vertebrates, man, of all them, uh, man is uh, preeminent in his willingness to try experiments, so uh, that it is inconceivable that he should settle down into the inflexible, unquestioning course of life that is typical of an insect. We call for a quite radical change in his whole nature. It would not be a mere change into a new species of homo that we would need, nor even a change into a new genus or family or order of the mammals. It would have to be a fundamental change into a new film of the animal kingdom, and that would not take a mere million years, but many hundreds of millions of years, except for unless... It says there's no prospect of man's nature imitating an insect, but it's much more nearly imaginable that his development should go, like that of the dog, into a set of breeds, each specialized for a particular purpose. Now, in the book two, the next million years, he he goes into, uh, we, the elite themselves, could use hormones to alter the behavior of men and women. Well, we have all the bisphenols A's and the xenoestrogens, all these artificial uh, mimickers, basically, of estrogens getting pumped into our bodies all the time in our foods, and and from the, 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 all the plastics that are, have been known since the 1890s contain this stuff, and also to have it, I've gone through the lectures where it hits uh, the male fetus in the womb, 
the age of about 8 to 12 weeks. Very important. If the mother's in a high dose of this stuff, uh, then it's, going to, it's, it's not going to have these proper um, uh, accoutrements in the proper order, or at least in the proper uh, dimensions, you might say, or that it should develop into. They know all of this stuff too. So um, we, these techniques are being used. He also mentioned using it, putting a water supply, or putting it into uh, inoculations and various other techniques for altering the behavior of men and women. He also knew too, of course, that too much of this would affect the women and make them more aggressive, actually. So, very interesting. Now, a little secret about uh, these books that go out there by these people. Whenever they say something, uh, uh, it's going to be like the future, all this will happen. They're already doing it. They've always been this way. Uh, It's the same now with geoengineering. They've been doing it since 1998, solidly across the world and very on a regular basis, uh, but they keep having these meetings pretending uh, what, what will, uh, they're discussing what the effects be if they ever should do it. This, this is the standard technique of keeping you in a different reality of what's happening. He says, at every turn, the argument leads back to the question of the master breed. Nothing can be done in the way of changing man from a wild into a tame animal without first creating such a breed. But most people are entirely inconsistent with their ideas of what they want created. On the one hand, they feel that all the world's problems would be solved if they were a wise and good man who would tell everybody what to do. But on the other hand, they bitterly resent being themselves told what to do. As to which of these motives would prevail, it seems at least probable it would be the resentment so that if the breed should arise in any manner, it would be extirpated before it could ever become well established. It is, however, imaginable that there might be a part of the world in which the breed was accepted and that this part should gain a superiority over the rest of the world because it could develop various suitable breeds of specialists under the control and direction of the master breed. And by the exercise of the skills of these specialists, it might overcome the other nations. So it is appropriate to look a little further into the matter, he says. Later on, we'll lower down that page, it says, and that's page uh, 131, 1952 edition. It says, these would be of great value, but they would not be the master breed. And the question arises of a more precise prescription of what the qualities of the master breed are to be. It's usually best to build on what one already has rather than to start from nothing. So the natural procedure would be to begin with existing rulers, since these have already established themselves as acceptable to at least a good many of their fellow creatures. Well, one would collect together, say, a hundred of the most important present, present rulers. Among them, of course, should be included a good many who exert secret influence without holding any overt office. That's your Bill Gates, your Rockefellers, etc., etc., he's talking about. And tell them to get on with the business of settling what the master breed should be. It is impossible to believe that any such body, he says, of men would ever reach agreement on any subject, whatever, so this plan fails. That's actually been very successful today. In the search for the qualities of the master breed, the next idea might be to appeal to the wisdom of our forefathers. Plato in his Republic devotes much attention to this very subject. Why not then find a Plato, give him this, his group of recruits, and let him educate them for 30 years according to his prescription, though perhaps fortifying it by the findings of modern educational theory? The result should be the master breed, but this will not do either, for Plato was not educating the master breed, he was educating the civil servant breed. 
And it's not about these that there is any difficulties. It is the finding of someone to fill the role of Plato himself. It all comes back to the point of what we do not know in the remotest degree of what we want. For I do not count as an answer to the one that would usually be proposed, which would be that the type required should be a good and wise, while at the same time showing a special favor for the particular enthusiasms of the proposer. The reason for the possibility of making a prescription for the master breed is that it is not a breed at all. To call it so is to change the sense of the word. Breeds are specialized for particular purposes. Actually, the bureaucrat is a breed. He's specialized for particular purposes. But the essence of masters is that they must not be specialized. He's not be the wild man. They have to be able to deal with totally unforeseen conditions, and this is a quality of wild, not of tame life. No prescription for the master breed is possible. You can't, you can't put any uh, impositions or restrictions on them. In these considerations, I have been assuming the license of supposing that we might be able to really to change human nature in a hereditable manner. This is far beyond all probability. Returning now to more practical considerations, there seems no likelihood whatever of a master breed arising. Well, since then, it apparently has. As if all animals manage the most ready to try experiments, and there are always candidates, far too many candidates, who regard themselves as fit members for the master breed. This quality is a characteristic of a wild animal, and it will always prevent man from domesticating himself. He will always prevent the creation of the master breed, through which alone the rest of man could be domesticated. The evolution of the human race will not be accomplished in the 10,000 years of tame animals, but in the million years of wild animals, because man is and will always continue to be a wild animal. Now, the, 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 the big um, organizations uh, that some of his cousins attended, world conferences and so on, working on this very problem, came up with the idea of, of uh, literally going ahead and not through just simply persuasion to change societies across the planet by, by literally using chemicals, hormones, inoculations, and so on to dumb down lots of the public already deemed to be inferior, which are the common proles, and to alter their, their sexual behavior in many ways, not just through social changes which are promoted and encouraged and advertised and really pushed, or, uh, but also through altering your, 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 the makeup of your endocrine system, basically, and your hormonal levels. You know, you, you become fairly sterile, um, and too much estrogen in the male uh, has obvious consequences as well, which are self-evident today. So it's been done, and it's already been done, and it's interesting the double speak throughout these, the books these guys put out because you'll find in other chapters little hints that, that these things were already being worked on and implemented in his day. Very interesting, as I say. But um, uh, what can you does that, don't you understand this whole myth of democracy, this placebo we're given, this safety valve to blow off steam, uh, is a joke. It's a joke, folks. I mean, why do you bother voting for your country when your country is already internationally run by international corporations too involved for their own benefit and not for your benefit? Where 
organizations like the, the United Nations set up by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a private organization, CFR, which also set up the IMF and run that, which also set up the Bank for International Settlements and run that, all private organizations. Why bother voting under this, this pretense of democracy when private organizations have set up the whole system that you're voting for? Why? We're privately run. The world is privately run. Quite simple. But now you'll see why these pressure groups of radicalized students are churned out of universities uh, with their own particular causes. They think it's theirs, but it's not, of course. They'll never figure out the end goal of all of this. And and even if they could achieve their end goal, uh, whatever chip that, that's on their shoulder won't, won't be removed. It won't be removed. Because the chip really is there for the, and under the guise of their cause. The chip's got something else wrong with the person generally, but they're really radical and angry and furious. But they're used and they're created and they're authorized and they're churned out uh, in every, every generation. And they'll never figure it out, of course. Everyone, every one of them wants special status. Not equal status, special status, you see. So how can you have equality when some people are, are getting special status? How can you have equality? So why go along with the pretense that you have it in the first place of democracy or any kind of freedom? If you had freedom, no topic can be taboo. None. Zilch. None. Even if it's topics you don't like. Or you're afraid of. It shouldn't be taboo. If people want to discuss it, let them discuss it. Or ask the questions. And if you think that some topic sounds nutty or crazy, well, don't worry about it. There should be other people too who will say, well, it's nutty or crazy. Just don't make laws to impose it on everybody else. That's all. Now, most folk, as I say, unfortunately, will never figure out the system. They get caught up in, even after this talk and the many talks I've given over the years, uh, with the next day's news, they'll listen to whatever they listen to, uh, be scared stiff uh, and, um, and go back into emotive responses to things. That's how you're all controlled, through fear and emotion. Uh, and, and a lot of people use the fear, 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 fear And at the end of uh, an hour's talk They'll sell you something for five minutes Which is the antidote to the fear It's always all awfully expensive, mind you And um, so, so apparently money will, will allay fear uh, You can buy things, so it'll allay fear Etc, etc, etc And I have no time for that kind of thing at all It's disgusting It's a disgusting technique to, to, to create that kind of thing it's, it's legal, but it's disgusting it tells you all you need to know about the person using it. It really does. It really does. It's like a salesman coming into your house to try to sell a vacuum cleaner. And you've had vacuum cleaners over the years, different kinds of vacuum cleaners. And he gives you his sales pitch and he sums up, this person may buy one and may not. They know right away, they, they know within 30 seconds if you're going to buy. And they have all these techniques which are used in, from psychology. The politicians also use in you. Uh, etc. And you follow into it. Anyway, if he's not getting what he wants from you, which is a sale, 
he can then use the next dirty trick, which is, oh, you know, I've got a little a little video here. I can pop it in your computer and let you see it. And uh, it'll show you all the hidden mites and things that they can seriously damage your health. And and then he pops this thing in there. And by God, there's a child with asthma dying on a bed there. <laughs> and and, and oh, my God, this is awful. Yeah, and, and look at the, the house looks nice and clean. And it's generally, a, the, the pictures of a house is so darn tidy. You know, it's been done by the whole professional crew, not your vacuum cleaner. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, the whole point is to say, well, look at this incredibly tidy house. And look at the, these, mite, these mites under the microscope. Everyone's got them apparently. And then goes into the, and there's some doctor, uh, some guy with a white coat. That was where the stethoscopes hang around their neck. That's a badge of approval, you know. And I don't know why they try to run with a stethoscope around their neck. It's not easy. They always fall off. But the fact is, this is the rubbish, the, the condition the public with. So here comes the standard doctor with his badge of approval hanging around his neck. And he, and he says, oh, yes, he says, this is, this can, and he's going to give you a bit of anatomy, physiology, and some of the biology. And he tells you, it tells you of how it destroys the, uh, the, the cells in the lungs and so on, the, the filiacs. Oh, they're all, oh my God, nothing won't work properly. Uh, and uh, this, oh, and you see this blow up, so lung, damaged lung tissue, you know. Generally, from someone that's been through World War I with being gassed with mustard gas, but they don't tell you that. But anyway, it has its effect. And by the time he's finished, you're ready to buy his vacuum cleaner. Simple techniques. And therefore, uh, when you're listening to something like that, fear-driven, here's the antidote. What does that tell you about the person pushing you? Is that a person with integrity? Is it? That's up to you to decide. Now, some folk get addicted to fear. I've known people who who bought underground shelters in the past, when that was getting pushed back in the 90s. Because they thought it was going to be a nuclear war. And, and, and they thought that uh, it was going to be a nuclear war. Then that, that's also when all the plague movies came out, like virus and blah, blah, blah. And terrifying folk, you see. And the masters of who use, utilize fear get in on the act. And they're selling these things like mini submarines that they bury under the garden. But you have a big, big backhoe and, and cost you a fortune and all the rest of it. One guy I know even uses it now as a root seller because, of course, he's never had to use it. So uh, this is how it goes. Think before you get panicked. Don't get panicked. If, if someone's trying to panic you, there's always an ulterior motive. Government runs the same way. It's always, the, as I say, war, a real war, which they create, or the threat of a war, or a cold war, which is fantastic, because the R&D money and the taxation goes up, and you don't complain because they're protecting you from a potential war. You know, you, we're just used, folks, I'm sorry to say. Or financial crisis. Oh, it's going to make a financial crisis. Blah, blah, blah. Or the country's in debt. What do you mean the country's in debt? Why is the country borrowing money in the first place? Look at all the taxes they bring in. And, and this democracy is wonderful. Do you see in any charter of any country they can't borrow money? Of course it's not there. Who runs them? The banks do. The ones who lend to them. The big international bankers. But people keep voting for the same system that's never worked. And every time, twice a century, at least, at the two big crashes where they, where they plunder you, the banks never lose a damn thing. They, get, they gain a lot because we always bail them out. And you keep voting for the same system. I'm just tossing ideas out, out, out there. I'm not advocating something else. I'm just telling you how it is. It's chronology. It's just chronology.
But I'm trying to get you to think for yourselves at least and, and question things. Well, that's a start. It's a start, folks. But you're run by sciences which most folk haven't got a clue exist. Haven't got a clue. A simple part of the chronology, as I say, is the weather. Never mind the fact that they're spraying you and they're manipulating the weather, have been for years, and using harp along with it too, apart from the spray. And going back, I've gone through all the talks that, that uh, Mr. Uh, Teller did back in the 1950s, talking about spraying the skies with metallic particles and then hitting it with uh, magnetic frequency waves and pulse waves, altering weather. Old techniques, so nothing's new. And it's been done. But I've been keeping my own records of these cold temperatures here, and it's March, and last Wednesday night into Thursday morning, it was back down to th- almost, almost 40 below again at night. That's that, when it gets 40 below, it's almost the same at both Celsius and Fahrenheit. It was 25 or 30 below last night. But you look into the government stations, they're, they're, they've only got down about uh, 2 to 6 below. They never change it all night long nor the next day. Why is that? It's because, you see, very few folk, I'm one of the oddballs that still has outside thermometers. I like to check things myself. Most folk don't have them. Brzezinski said in the 70s in his book Between Two Ages, most folk eventually will be unable to think for themselves. They expect the media to do their reasoning for them. And so you tune into the the news channel, whatever, and they tell you something, and it must be true. Why would they be lying to you? It's so simple. It's so simple. It doesn't fit in with global warming, you see. And you've got all these new ta- carbon taxes flooding in like crazy. doesn't fit in. We're conned on every level out there. The TV is just a con box. And an indoctrination box, because there's not a darn thing out there from a comedy to a drama to a, a movie that doesn't have a, a, a convey with it. As see, it, it's it's the conveying mechanism to download you with something, either hypersexualize you, uh, or or to update you with your PC stuff, or to instill guilt into you for things you've never done. To give special status to different kinds of people. And so on and so on and so on. That's how it's done, folks. It's the delivery system. It's weaponized. It's the delivery system. The story in, in any movie with, or drama or thriller is the delivery system, the, the hook to make you follow it through all the sex and all the rest of it, the sex and violence, blah, 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 blah. It's a delivery system, especially teenage horror movies, tits and bum movies, I call them. They're a little bit of story is simply to keep you, you, you watching it and, 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 and saying, okay, I should really turn it off, but I, I want to find out how it ends, the story, the thriller part of it. And you watch all the rest of it on the way and you're contaminated. It's very simple. Old techniques, see? Eh? Nothing new under the sun. Well, from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. Thank you.